Good evening. I'm Carrie Brower, the Deputy Director and Chief Curator here at the Hirshhorn Museum. And I'd like to uh, welcome you all to the first in this season's Meet the Artist series, uh, in which we invite uh, emerging artists and established artists to come and, and speak directly to you. And we're, we're very, very pleased tonight uh, to have with us uh, in this first Meet the Artist this year, Guido van de Verve, who is, I think, one of the most interesting artists working in the moving image to have emerged uh, uh, in some time. His, his work moved us here at the museum uh, extremely deeply, um, so much so that uh, we decided uh, to do a black box uh, with him, uh, the series that uh, we inaugurated back in 2005. Uh, as well as uh, acquire one uh, uh, for the collection. The piece that's in the black box is uh, Numer Oct, Everything is Going to Be All Right. Uh, that's the piece that you've seen, and I'm certainly glad to hear that uh, in this economic uh, downturn uh, that we've been having. Um, so we've established the Black Box series really as a way of taking a look at, at uh, new media art, uh, both emerging and established artists, uh, and it's been going on now for about uh, three and a half, four years uh, now. And uh, I want to just uh, congratulate <clears throat> Kelly Gordon, who has uh, curated uh, every one of those black box uh, programs since then. She's done a fabulous job, and they've been enormously successful here, as, as Guido's uh, uh, work has shown. Um, I should uh, remind you that uh, we will be opening a new black box on November 30th, and that is the work of Phoebe Greenberg, and a Canadian artist, and I hope you uh, will all come and take a look at that. It's, it's quite amazing and, and uh, really also says something about uh, the climate right now uh, here in this country. Um, Next week, I should mention, we also will be opening a very important exhibition. I think it's particularly important here for Washington, D.C., and that is the retrospective of Anne Truitt, uh, who was a uh, absolutely wonderful and probably under-recognized, but hopefully after this show, less so, um, uh, artist working in a minimalist vein and uh, has had uh, wonderful exhibitions and galleries, but this is really the first show that uh, she had that is a, uh, a major retrospective exhibition. And I've seen the show now, it's pretty much installed downstairs, uh, and it's an absolutely gorgeous exhibition. So please come for that. We actually will be doing a very interesting panel discussion uh, for that, um, and that uh, we're going to have people who knew um, uh, Anne Truitt there, uh, as well as uh, Kristen Heilemann, who curated uh, the exhibition. And the, the panelists will include Tim Gunn, who now needs no introduction at all, uh, Martin Perrier, a wonderful artist, uh, Jem Cohen, who's done amazing films, actually, which we've screened, actually, in the auditorium. He did a brilliant film about Anne Truitt. Uh, John Gossage, um, uh, the photographer, uh, as well as Kristen on the panel. So uh, please come uh, uh, for that. That, um, next week um, on October 8th. Uh, before I introduce Guido, I should say some thank yous, and I'd like to thank the Lawrence A. Cohen and Ringler Associates for their help with the Black Box series. Um, I also want to thank James Alafontis for his support for tonight's program. I want to thank Sova Espresso and Wine for, for getting the coffee here and keeping me awake tonight. It's, it's been a long week. Thank you for that. And please do 
do, feel free to get up. The coffee's in the back, standing back there uh, where Ryan Hill is, raising his hand right now, so please feel free to go back uh, and get some. And now uh, to Guido. Um, Guido was born in the Netherlands in 1977, and he currently works in Amsterdam, although I understand he's also spending uh, quite a deal, uh, quite a a bit of time in New York City. Um, it's a little hard to introduce him in some ways because he's done so much uh, at, at such a young age. He's uh, been an accomplished uh, classical pianist. He's a composer. Uh, he's a chess player. He studied industrial design and archaeology and Russian before finally focusing on fine art. Um, but I think his most amazing accomplishment is that I understand you just actually were in the Helsinki Marathon and finished it, correct? So uh, th that's even more amazing, to me anyway. Uh, he's completed 10 short films now uh, in his career as an artist, and he's going to go through tonight and show you how that uh, career developed. And all of them, he says, are kind of possible scenarios of imaginary realities. Uh, he basically, in most of them, is the star uh, of the work, and they're very much about endurance. They're very much about uh, life itself. Uh, we have one in the collection, which you'll see in future exhibitions, called uh, number nine, The Day I Didn't Turn With the World, uh, from 2007, which is a wonderful piece. So please join me in welcoming Guido van de Verf. Um, hi everybody, and uh, yeah, thanks for the talk. And I wanted to thank the Hirschhorn as well to ask me to uh, talk a little bit about my work um, tonight. Um, I will basically try to give you an idea about my way of working from roughly the last five years or so, um, and I will show some films which I thought were uh, kind of big steps in my way of working. Um, but always before I talk a little bit about my work, I always want to make it clear that uh, my way of working is very um, um, intuitive and um, most of the um, rationalizing that I will do now happens afterwards. Um, as was said, I was born in uh, Holland and um, I played uh, piano from a very young age, uh, which um, was or is still is kind of a big um, force in my work, but I will talk about that later. Um, my brother and my father were both uh, painters, and even though I kind of liked art, I was never that much um, drawn to it. Um, when I was about 17, I think I lost my uh, interest in playing the uh, piano, but because I didn't know or I couldn't really do anything else after high school, I went to the conservatory anyways, but soon it became clear that I wasn't up for that, so I dropped out. Um, um, like was said in the um, introduction, I then tried a different kind of um, or I, I tried to do lots of different kinds of stuff, um, and I ended up in art school uh, wanting to study um, design, actually. Um, 
but when I went to art school, you had to try lots of different things, and pretty soon I got interested into doing um, performances. Um, now these performances are mostly one-liners, uh, uh, and um, I basically just use my uh, state of mind as a searchlight to come up with um, something that would really fit my mood and turn that into a performance. Um, I didn't like to do these things live though, so I just asked my friends to film them, um, just film them by hand. Uh, I would always like to show two early pieces from 2000 and 2001, just to give you an idea of how everything got started, so I will do that. So um, at that time I made a whole bunch of these. and. Even though I kind of liked them, I was really longing for a more deep uh, way of uh, um, working. And also with these things, I always got the, uh, or they always asked me whether the performance is the work or the film of the performance is the work. And that was a, um, a thing which I didn't like to have to talk about all the time. So. I wanted to make a thing where it was clear that it was a thing in itself. Um, now at this time I was um, introduced more and more into the contemporary uh, art scene in uh, Holland and um, I was quite, um, or I didn't like it very much because being raised with uh, music I was used to the very direct and um, uh, intuitive way that music uh, reaches the, the audience and uh, art wasn't um, able to touch me as much or as deep as uh, uh, music had been. Um, so this kept me quiet, um, or uh, this was something that I thought a lot about at that time and I started to doubt whether uh, I would like to make art uh, at all. Um, then I read a um, tale from the 18th century, I believe. I forgot the exact uh, details, but um, it was the account of a uh, vernissage of a uh, painting. And when the canvas was pulled off, some people bursted out in tears. Um, so then I thought, well, it, it is possible that just one image can have a big uh, um, impact. Um, and then I started to think where else than in, um, uh, than in uh, music nowadays you have this very strong, more uh, emotional um, reactions. And then I started to think about um, film because when you go to see a film, it's quite uh, uh, normal to laugh or cry. Um, and so that kind of happened at the same time when I started to want to um, have a way of working which was kind of more deep. And then I um, decided to start to make my um, performances into a, a framework of a film. Um, and the film which I made then is kind of an important film to me because I think it's kind of the first step um, which was which led to everything after that. Um, I also filmed it in the street where I'm from, so you can have a look at that. And um, 
in this film, I used the film crew, but I wanted to stay very close to the uh, basics of um, uh, the way that you look at uh, um, um, something, basically. So the uh, camera moves maybe from left to right or up and down, but it never really changes uh, to uh, crazy, let's say. So I will show the next film, which is the first film which has a uh, number. Now, um, when I started to get more into film, I realized quite fast that I wouldn't like to make um, traditional uh, cinema. Um, I liked the medium, but I wasn't interested in making dialogues, acting, or creating something um, artificial, let's say. And I realized that the scenes that I actually like the most in films, usually even more than the film itself, where the um, scenes that the film usually starts with or ends with, where you have a certain image combined with a voiceover or uh, music, which is uh, meant to kind of set a certain mood. Um, and I think the reason I like this scene so much is because they had a uh, similar um, um, openness as uh, uh, music has as well. And I spent a lot of time at that time thinking um, why uh, music is so um, um, open. And I came to the um, conclusion that a composer manages to um, um, universalize his or her very personal um, um, state of mind, basically, uh, by um, abstracting this uh, into a mood, right, by the use of 12 notes. Um, and I, th I think mood is a very um, important thing because I think it's the last stage of um, abstracting before uh, all is gone, let's say. Uh, to give an uh, example of that, maybe in two weeks, no one in this audience will uh, remember what I talked about precisely, but everybody will kind of uh, remember the mood of this uh, talk and um, I think that's why mood is the most basic of uh, me um, memories um, and the nice thing about mood is that um, everyone is able to have its own link with it um, and in that sense also the um, personality of the artist or composer is not that uh, important anymore. And I think that's, that's a really good thing. Um, so realizing that I wanted to do something with moods, I decided to make a work um, in which I could replace the main roles with moods and the story uh, development, which with uh, um, changes in moods. I started to work on uh, number four, which I'll show shortly. Um, and um, when I made the film, I, I really tried to uh, be as uh, intuitive as possible in finding um, scenes which were very dear to me and then try to uh, 
bring these back to moods uh, and use these moods as uh, blocks to build up a film. So I, I will show that shortly. Um, but at this time I hadn't played um, piano for maybe years, uh, eight, I guess. And I just finished art school and I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to work in a um, souvenir shop in, in uh, Amsterdam, which wasn't a very nice job to have. And then one night um, I was uh, at a birthday party of a friend of mine and late at night, I noticed that he had a uh, piano, so I started to fool around on the uh, on, on that. And uh, one of his friends happened to have a little um, uh, thing, and he would employ a background pianist for hotels and wedding parties, etc. So he asked me if I wanted to do it, and first I thought, no, it's not really for me, but. It turned out that uh, you would make quite a lot of uh, cash with that, so then I <laughs> decided to do it. Um, then I also bought an old uh, piano, and I started to play more and more, and then at that time it also made sense that I would actually start to play my own uh, soundtracks. Um, it took me a while, though, before I actually dared to compose my own music, so in the couple of films I will show now I play Chopin yeah all the time um, so I would like to show number four um, so at this time I made around three films kind of based on the same uh, idea to tell uh, films in, in moods um, and I played uh, piano in all of those films but in two of them I um, uh, you didn't actually see me playing piano, so I went to a uh, piano um, studio to to play it there, and um, they had really nice um, Steinways there, and somehow everything worked out much, uh, or everything sounded much nicer on the um, Steinway, and I was really always sad to go home to my old uh, piano after playing on it, and. I kind of realized that I could probably never own a Steinway because they cost a lot of money. Um, so then I um, decided to make a film about a um, Steinway, which is from 2006. Um, so that film was by far the most um, uh, um, narrative film I had ever made. And on the basis of this one, I had received a grant from the Dutch Film Fund to write a script for a um, feature film. And uh, in the beginning of that, I, I kind of liked to write it, but it became a more and more painful process. And pretty soon I uh, caught myself trying to make up and inventing scenes just to get to the length of one and a half hour. Um, after a while, I threw the script away, and we never made the film. Um, and I had a strong uh, anti-reaction uh, in the way that I was looking for uh, simplification rather than uh, complication. And then I realized that most of my works were actually based on uh, one pretty uh, simple idea. And like I mentioned before, I think in my search for 
directness, the uh, simplification process is very um, important. Um, the more uh, s uh, simple you can make your ideas, the more uh, open the work gets and the more people can uh, um, relate to it. Uh, I think music and poetry work in that way and I think uh, conceptual art should work in that way as well. You start with a big mass of uh, ideas, emotions and what have you and then you manage to bring all that down to one core or the perfect uh, sentence as I sometimes like to call it. And I think a lot of conceptual arts which I can't relate to so much work the other way around. Um, it starts with one idea and then this idea gets um, mystified and complicated until it becomes a very closed work and hardly anybody can relate to it anymore. Um, I think simplicity is really the tool to make work open and direct and I think simplicity is one of the hardest things to uh, achieve. I always like to compare it with sports like uh, figure skating for example. The, uh, simpler it looks, the uh, better the, uh, um, the um, athlete is. And um, I think this is very true for art as well. Um, so I made two films in which I tried to be as to the point as I could. The first one was shown down here in the black box. I, I just show a clip of it for maybe somebody didn't see it.
So this, this film is basically a loop of uh, 10 minutes. And another film I made at the same time, um, this is also in 2007, uh, was a film in which I realized that it would be um, physically possible to not turn with the world for one day if you would uh, fly to either the North or the South Pole. I, I choose the North Pole and stand there for 24 hours and turn clockwise, while the Earth turns counterclockwise. Um, so that's what we did, um, but I didn't want to make it into kind of endurance performance, so we uh, time-lapsed the film in the way that we took a picture every six uh, seconds, so it turned into a nine-minute film, and it was actually easy to um, know how fast I had to turn because the sun is always up there, so I could just follow my own shadow, basically. Um, after I, I made the film, I couldn't find a good uh, soundtrack um, for the film. And um, the problem was a little bit that I usually played 19th century music, which has a very strong uh, narrative structure. And this film wasn't really going anywhere, so it, it didn't really <laughs> work. Um, so then I, I had two weeks before the premiere of the film, and then... I decided to write my own soundtrack, which was a, a, a kind of big threshold to take because I, I really grew up playing, in my opinion, uh, the most uh, uh, beautiful uh, music. So I never really dared to add anything to that world of beautiful music. Um, but in a way, it was good that I only had two weeks because I couldn't... Uh, think too much about it um, but uh, looking back to it, it it's it was a little bit naive soundtrack maybe but I, I kind of like it as well and it also uh, started the road to a new way of working in which I also write the music um, which I um, think is very nice because then I'm in total uh, control of of the film, let's say. Um, I, I always like to compare it to Wagner's uh, definition of the um, uh, Gesamtkunstwerk, in which he basically also made the whole, his own world. Um, so I will show number nine.
So um, after I made this film, I started to get more and more into uh, composing, and I uh, I thought I had a lot to learn. So for one year, I uh, tried to learn as much as I could. I moved to uh, New York at that time, and I started to work with a young composer as my uh, mentor, basically. Um, and at the same time, I was getting more and more into an old uh, hobby of mine, which was chess. Um, and because I was learning composing and chess at the same time, they started to kind of blend into uh, one another. Um, and I noticed that the way that you write chess down is very uh, uh, similar to the way that you write uh, notes down, basically. Um, because a chessboard has eight squares, and below it it says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So if you would turn the last H into an A, you have the scale of A uh, minor, basically. Um, plus the um, formal um, uh, qualities of the piano and the chessboard, the black and whiteness started to kind of mix in my head. Um, then I decided to build a uh, chess piano, basically. Let me show you an image of it. And this is the, I'll show you the inside. So this is the inside of it. Uh, I thought I would make it in two months, but I, I'm kind of still working on it at the moment. Uh, and um, I came up with the idea to make a film which is based on a uh, chess game. So I went to the Marshall Chess Club in New York, which is a very famous chess club because that's where Duchamp played and uh, Fisher. And I started to work with a very uh, high-ranked um, Grandmaster, which name was Leonid uh, Yudasin. And um, it was very nice to work with him. Um, I basically asked him to come up with a chess game for a film, and I wanted it to start with a uh, um, chess opening, which was the King's uh, Gambit, and I wanted it to end in a stalemate. So we worked on that, but at the same time, he was trying to teach me how to play chess uh, a little bit uh, more and um, I remember when I met him for the first time I spoke to him on the phone and I noticed he had quite a strong uh, Russian uh, uh, accent um, and then when I met him he turned out to be an uh, orthodox uh, Jewish guy and um, he asked me if I had some of my old games, and then I showed him some of the games I had recently played. And then he looked at the games, and then he looked at me, and he said, you play chess like um, Hezbollah. <laughs> so, but then he started to laugh very loud, and then I got to know him quite well already. And, <laughs> He's a very nice man, and he also writes uh, poems. Um, and he told me a lot of uh, nice things throughout the year. And one thing which he told me, and I would like to quote him if I quote him 
correct was um, in order to manage the uh, infinite amount of moves and um, variations during a chess game, uh, grandmasters have developed a certain intuition which is based on experience in compositional aesthetics rather than trying to calculate the infinite amount of moves and consequences each move has. They look at a board and make a move that simply feels right. And to me, as an artist, it was very uh, interesting to hear that in a very uh, mathematical game, um, aesthetics and intuition can easily handle uh, situations where uh, the brain can't handle the rational calculations anymore. Um, I started to work on a film which took two years to complete. Um, mainly because of the chess piano. Um, it's called Number 12. It's, it's, a, it's a long, kind of complex film, but um, what I tried to do also was, because when I made the last two films that I showed, I, I really liked the films, but once I had the idea, I basically became a producer or a slave of my own ideas. And in this film, I wanted to kind of stretch the work process. So rather than to um, let's say, um, pronounce the, the idea of the film. I try to kind of make moves uh, that would border the uh, idea of the film. Um, and basically the film itself is it's a uh, film in three scenes because it's based on a chess game which has three uh, uh, three parts, opening, middle game, and end game. And I wrote a uh, concert for strings based on the chess game, um, in which the chess piano is, let's say, the slow uh, solo instrument. Um, I'm not going to show the whole film because it's 40 minutes long, but I'll maybe just show the first part. Um, each part is introduced by a problem which is um, impossible to solve. Uh, and it's kind of set in a context which has a more fleeting uh, uh, character, let's say. Uh, I'm just gonna show part of the first scene, maybe part of the second scene to give you an idea. Yeah, that's just uh, half of the first scene. So it's, yeah, two totally different scenes after that. But I think I will leave it at this point, anybody, any questions? Yeah? Um, well, we made a deal with the captain. He, was, he still wanted to um, be able to see the back of my head from the bridge over the hull. Um, so, I think it was around 40 feet or something, but I had a little ear thing that if I was getting too close, he would say, you know, speed up. <laughs> so he didn't want me to fall in the, in the blind zone between the hull and the, yeah? When I was, Well, the thing is, when you make films, you're always much more worried about anything going wrong with the cameras or 
So I, I didn't really feel anything. I just wanted to get it done. And then when you see it back later, sometimes you have the idea of, oh, that didn't look so safe or something. But um, usually I'm just stressed because I'm making a movie. Uh, so the other things don't really matter so much. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean the icebreaker we shot with just one camera. Um, when we went to the North Pole, we took two cameras in case one of them would stop working because of the cold. Uh, it was hard to actually use uh, cameras, but it just kept working uh, all the time. We uh, made a test run, uh, we put it in a fridge for, for two days and we took it out and it was still working, so yeah, yeah, that was uh, digital. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the thing with the lake was the, um, 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 I was there once uh, and then uh, I was uh, standing on this side of the lake and there were two fins, it was filmed in uh, Finland on the other side of the lake and they were uh, speaking, just having a chat. Uh, and you could really hear them quite well because the surface of the lake is very smooth so then I, I always liked this place very much. I wanted to do something with it. And then I realized that the uh, acoustics of the place are also quite uh, good in, in a way. Um, so then I, I built a raft. And, and the funny thing is, I don't know if you could see it, but if I play louder or with more bass, the wrinkles in the water around me get higher. The only thing that I didn't think about was as soon as I started to play uh, my hands were filled with uh, mosquitoes. Um, <laughs> so I, I screw up a part of it, which of course I blame on the mosquitoes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, at that time, um, I... I just, um, well, it's one of those things, you know, when you maybe try a very good car, you can never go back to your old car. And then I had the luxury of playing on Steinways when I would uh, record my soundtrack. So when I would get back to my old piano, I was always very frustrated that, uh, you know, I didn't have a Steinway, but then on the other hand, they cost so much money that I can probably never buy one. So then I... I just told, um, well, it's also one of the nice things about um, making a film that you can kind of do things that you usually can't because you're making a film so you can get away with a lot of things. Even though they came really to uh, reclaim the um, Steinway, but they were a bit pissed off. But when I showed the film to them, they thought it was quite a nice film. And um, I don't know if you know, but a few years ago, uh, Steinway made a film about how the Steinways are made. And when that film premiered in the cinema in Holland, they showed this film in front of that film. So I thought it was quite nice.
They didn't give me a Steinway, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. No, I, I would like to hear more about it. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I have to check into that. Yeah. And yeah. Um well, the funny thing was I made that in the summer or in the winter of uh, 2007. And we planned to film it at the start of the year, but then that year it was the first uh, winter in Finland, actually, that there was no ice in this sea between Sweden and uh, Finland. And um, it only started to freeze in March. Um, so I was scared that I wouldn't be able to do the film uh, uh, at all, but uh, luckily it started to freeze a lot. And at that time, it, it wasn't very thick, what they used to. It was maybe one and a half foot, something like that. But yeah, you could walk on it easily, of course, but um, it, it wasn't, usually it's maybe three feet thick or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm what is your relationship or kind of works relationship with self portraiture? Mm-hmm. What was your first question? Sorry. I... So the works relationship, the kind of self portraiture? Yeah. Um, well, when I started to do performances, um, I think a lot of artists, when they do this kind of thing, they usually use themselves because it's the, you know, it, you're there anyway, so you can use yourself. And then it just felt quite good, and I didn't hear anybody saying, like, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> um, so then that kind of grew, and... Uh, I think it works really well for me to kind of become, you know, this kind of person um, that I am in my films. Um, but, well, what I'm trying to do is also to, you know, to create a little bit more blank uh, person in a way so that, you know, you could also uh, put yourself in my shoes. Um, so... I mean, of course, the works are very personal um, and uh, in a way also self-portraits, but I really try to make them uh, more uh, universal. Uh, so, yeah? No, I always prefer, I don't really write scripts, I just work in my head and I, I prefer not to really talk about my ideas until they're there somehow. <laughs> uh, it's just the way it works for me. So one of the things which I do enjoy though is because I, I work always with the same film crew. So when, you know, when I, I kind of know what I want to do, I always go to see the sites with my cameraman and then we take a lot of uh, uh, um, still uh, Im images and He's really good in uh, um, 
pointing me out what a good uh, composition would be because he's very skillful. So I'm, he, I'm very pleased to kind of work with him. But um, yeah, the work process itself is quite introverted. Uh, somebody, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. Uh, I can give it to you as well if you... Um, no. Should I repeat it? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm happy he's not here because he probably don't agree with this, but... Um, Yeah, um, in order to manage the endless amount of moves and uh, variations during a chess game, grandmasters have developed a certain intuition which is based on experience in compositional um, aesthetics. Rather than trying to calculate the infinite amount of moves and consequences each move has, they look at the chess board and make a move that simply feels right. That was the quote. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's really hard to kind of watch your own works, but um, what I really or what I'm trying to do is make them as um, to the point as I can, and then I always enjoy it if people come with their um, inter um, interpretation of the work, and and if you know they feel that the work is theirs in a way. Um, um, and it's it's always fun to hear all the things that you know people think that the work is about for f for them. But um, to myself, I try to uh, you know uh, reduce as much as I can of what I actually want to put in in into the work. So only the the core is left. Let's say. Does that answer your question? Any more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, I kind of trained in a way that um, I because uh, hypothermia was kind of the the big thing there to um, avoid, and um, so I trained for I think half a year by you know by not eating or drinking anything that would uh, dehydrate you. So. Um, and also the the way I move so much is because I'm you know flexing my um, muscles to keep my blood uh, circulation going. Um, but after I, I also had an iPod with books for blind people. You can't say blind, right? <laughs> uh, just to you know pass the time, and I had a Wagner uh, opera as well, which took ten hours, I think. <laughs> Uh, but I had a hard time after 12 hours. I, I was almost lo losing my mind, I think. But um, fortunately, it was incredibly expensive to go to the North Pole, so I knew I, I only had one shot to, to do it. Um, 
And the funny thing was, uh, you can only fly to the North Pole in the er early spring when the sun comes up and then the ice is still thick enough to land on. And it used to be really hard to get there, but now there's a group of Russian scientists who uh, flies there for one month in a year. And um, when I wrote them uh, that I wanted to go there and you know be at the North Pole for at least 24 hours, I didn't tell them what I wanted to do, of course. Um, and then when I came there, they asked me what I wanted to do, and then uh, I explained them, and then uh, well, they said that you would only last for two hours because they have this rule, they don't go outside more than two hours. Um, and then they made bets um, <laughs> if I was going to uh, live or not. And then in the evening when they gave the food, because uh, I don't eat any meat or fish, the bets changed even worse because they thought that if you don't eat meat or fish, you're never going to survive. Uh, but then after I stood there for 24 hours, I all convinced them in becoming um, um, vegetarians. Uh, at least that's what they said. But that was, yeah, it was tough actually. I, I didn't think um, it was going to be so tough. And uh, the hardest part was also in the end when all this fork rolls in because uh, you don't have any, anything there to uh, focus on really in the first place. Um, so then I, I, I didn't sleep the night uh, before as well because I was nervous and anxious about the whole thing. So then I, I really started to fall asleep and I just tried to point my eyes at something but there was nothing sharp. So that was a really weird uh, moment but... Uh, yeah, all in all, quite a... Yeah, I, I was basically just uh, following my own uh, shadow. Uh, but it was tough. I, I noticed that um, because when I came there uh, to the camp, which was 100 miles south of the North Pole, and they would fly me out the next day there, uh, first thing I saw was a uh, woman which had really bad frostbite on her nose. Um, and my nose kind of sticks out. So uh, I, I was a bit nervous about that. And I mean, I put uh, Vaseline on my face every few hours because that prevents you from frostbite. But uh, I noticed after 12 hours that I, I started to touch my nose if I could still feel it and then I really had to kind of calm down in order not to <laughs> go crazy uh, but luckily my nose is still here yeah um, well I mean it's it's kind of part of the work but um, I think it's also kind of nice to make it challenging for yourself but I mean, for the example, the case in the North Pole, I just thought it's it's a really nice uh, uh, metaphor that it's physically possible to not turn with the world for one day. So that's also why I didn't want to make it into kind of a 24 hours endurance performance because I really like the idea. So, I mean, in, in that sense, just the fact that it was kind of hard was not that important to me. You know, I just had, had to do it, but... Um, I think it's more something that's in my being, basically, that I like to have a, a, 
uh, have a uh, challenge. Um, so, yeah? Um, well, I was actually, um, I, I was just recently, uh, um, I, I came home with a, uh, documentary about climbing the Mount, uh, um, um, Everest, and then my, uh, uh, girlfriend walked in, and then she kind of turned the film off, and she was like, <laughs> no, um, but I, I don't really have, I, I have vague ideas, but this last film took so much uh, time and effort to finish that I, I kind of take it slow now. And uh, I'm actually at the moment, I'm working more on uh, uh, composing, um, but it will, I will use it in a film probably, but the ideas are very vague still, so, yeah. Um, well, I, I, um, when I started to make films, I also showed a lot in film festivals, uh, and I still do, but I, I've been showing more and more in the art uh, uh, context uh, recently, and um, it's, well, I mean, here and there, I have, uh, you know, shows, um, and I also noticed that, well, the funny thing is that it's kind of, it was, I mean, I sh still show a lot in the film world, but they kind of start to bite each other because art is more about ex uh, exclusivity and then film is just about, you know, putting it on the best of DVD and then that kind of doesn't really work when it's an art piece. So I'm trying to rhyme these two uh, together, but more and more in, in the art world I'm, I'm showing, and uh, it's, I'm very happy when a museum like the Hirshhorn purchases one of my pieces, so I, I know it will be shown, uh, so thank you. <laughs> thank you.